Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one, some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to this week's edition of the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. I thought I would do a solo podcast this week and chat about and share some thoughts around what I've been writing about on my weekly Whispers blog. The insights that I got from doing a hike in Tasmania, it's called the Overland Track. And it allowed space and reflection time with mates, with nature. And it got me thinking about a few things. And I thought, rather than me spending a little bit of time trying to articulate all of those thoughts into you know readable chunks, I thought I would just talk them out. And some of which are obvious, some of which are less obvious, some of which are really kind of paradoxical. And for a bit of back context... This was maybe a year ago. A mate of mine asked me if I wanted to join him and some other friends on hike in Tasmania. I I said yes without even knowing what it was. And then when he told me, that all seemed good. I didn't quite realise what I was up for. So the, the Overland Track is one of the highest rated treks in Australia, maybe even in the world. It's an overnight hike, so you have to hike if you're going to do the full Overland Track, which is about... 70 80 kilometers in length you can take offshoots and go up certain peaks which adds to the distance but it's about five six seven nights five six seven days of trekking uh, the main challenge for me was uh carrying my own stuff and so there are huts and actually quite luxurious in hindsight huts where you can stay dry and sleep and uh, it's warm on the way there and on the way to the next point, you're carrying 20, 22 upwards kilograms on your back as you trek 10, 15, 25 kilometers per day. So it was relatively challenging physically. Um, but what I found perhaps the most insightful was that space, that connection with nature is to ponder some reflections. The first reflection that I pondered was actually quite paradoxical as in both of these insights are true and they're both not true and when they are true is for our own determination and the first one was to stop pause and look back and remember where we come from however the paradox is to try and keep focused on what's in front of you now the reason it's paradoxical is because I found myself at the back of the pack uh, on occasions, which gave me the opportunity to actually stop, not trying to follow the pace of the group, but to stop and pause, reflect on the 
landscape that we'd come from and to appreciate the distance we'd come, the time it had taken, the effort that I'd taken to get here. And yet there were many situations where if I was looking too far ahead, <laughs> I would trip up on the path. And there was quite a few points where there was boardwalk and planks. And if you did trip, you're probably going to hurt yourself. And you're probably then going to get absolutely soaked because it was quite wet and boggy in certain places. So here's perhaps the first paradoxical thought. To find the time, the attention, the mindset to stop, pause, look back as often as appropriate, whilst at the same time or in parallel, making sure you focus on what's in front of you. And the reason I think they're paradoxical, because I had to find ways to do both. If I was too attentive to how far we had to go or how far we'd come, I might lose my footing of what's in front of me. Whereas if that's out, the only thing I focused on, I wouldn't have been inspired to kind of go, wow, look where we've come from. So there was a number of moments where stopping along your back was appropriate. And there was a number of moments where focus right on what's in front of you. And as you take your own journeys around, you know, any of these trips that you might do or, or any of the aspects of life, it, it's that toggling between stopping and pausing and looking back and being grateful and thankful as to what you have and where you've come from, but also then focusing on at the right time what's in front of you, what's right in front of your nose this minute, this hour, this day, this week in the aspects of your life that are important um, and to pay attention to that. There was a, a, a second paradoxical insight for me. And th this was a little bit of a cliche, but it was certainly true for us in that don't go alone, yet go at your own pace. There's, there's an old adage that if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go further, go together. And that certainly bore out for us. There was certainly a different levels of fitness, intrigue, capability and so on. Had we done it individually, there'd have been very, very different times and experiences. And we all bought into doing it together, which meant the things we did were different and probably wouldn't have experienced them on their own. And yet, as I said, I found myself at the back of the pack on many occasions in the first few days, which I was fine with. I think others in the group were feeling bad for me and I was actually fine with it because it allowed me to stop and connect and take in my surroundings. I didn't feel like the need to just keep up with the person in front of me. I was actually able to, and I quite enjoyed going at my, my own pace. And one of the, the stories of us going further together, and we had a long, <laughs> interesting debate over coffee. On the second day, I think it was, we, at the end of the that hike, there was a lake that was swimmable. And bear in mind, this is... March, April. So coming into late autumn, winter in Australia, and you know, if you don't live in Australia, it might seem hard to believe, but in Tasmania, it's pretty far south and it gets pretty chilly. And so the water is pretty damn cold. And so there was a call, uh, maybe four o'clock in the afternoon, just before it gets dark, let's go for a swim. <laughs> of course. I wasn't that keen, to be honest. I, uh, not for any other reason than, believe it or not, being a Scot, I hate the cold. But I just wasn't that keen. 
but because of whether it was FOMO or whether it was peer group pressure, that's what we had a debate about. Um, we all went down to the lakeside, stripped off into our undies, and we all head in, shoulders in, you know, not for long, let me tell you. But we all swam of sorts in the lake. And the reason, had I been on my own, I don't think there's any way I would have done that. And did that experience add to my life? Not particularly. However, what did add to my life was the connection that we had, the fun, the chat, the banter we had after, before and afterwards about because we were together. That's probably why certainly me and I think maybe one or two others did it. Now, you know, we, we, we didn't settle on whether that was fear of missing out or whether it was peer group pressure. And I'm not sure it really matters. The point being for us that because we were together in a group, there's obviously a bit of a blessing in that. You're more likely to do things. And certainly over the, the course of the six nights, seven days we hiked, there were some times when we were all pretty tired and yet somebody was inspired or wanted to go off on an offshoot hike, which might have only been, you know, 8K there and 8K back, maybe 1,500 metres vertical. So not that strenuous. But at the end of a day... Oh, I'm not sure if I can be bothered. And yet being together, I can't think of an occasion, maybe one, but I'm pretty sure on most occasions we all went anyway. And so it forced us to do things together. And yet in that, we all found our own pace at certain things. So that was another interesting thing for me is, you know, going together, we certainly went further than probably I would have gone on my own, albeit I'd have probably gone faster. Another almost paradoxical thing for us was on day one, uh, leaving from Cradle Mountain end of the track. Uh, Cradle Mountain, I think, is the most iconic part of the trip. When we got to the first uh, summit where you could see Cradle Mountain, what the advice we were given was, if you can't see it, don't go. Meaning if it's covered in cloud and mist and you know rain and fog, it's probably not wise to go because that means it's a little bit treacherous, a little bit unsafe. And you know, we'd have probably been okay, but again, being good scouts, we followed the followed the advice and we didn't go. And so we kind of missed out a little bit. And the the insight was, you know, if you can't see it, don't go. And is that true for all things? If you can't visualize it, if you can't see the outcome, don't take part, don't take the next step. No, because on, I think it was day four, we got to a part in the track where the off hike was a walk and almost scramble, almost climb to the top of Mount Ossa, which is the highest peak in Tasmania. And when we got there, we couldn't see the top. We couldn't see it. That was partly because of the weather, but partly because there was some hidden summits. You know, we'd get to one summit and think we're there and then you'd look up and go, oh, there's a bit more. Those hidden blind summits. So again, the premise was just because we couldn't see it, we didn't not go. And so here's the paradox for us. You know, this first insight around, oh, if you can't see it, don't go. If you can't visualise and imagine it happening, don't dare. Whereas the opposite was also true. We couldn't see it and yet we went anyway. And both in hindsight were probably, I would say, the right decisions. 
certainly weather on day one we couldn't see Crater Mountain Summit was probably the right thing and on day four or five I think when we couldn't see the summit of Mount Osser but we knew it was up there and kind of play two or three blind summits ahead we went anyway and it was a great experience so I can't tell you when <laughs> these insights will apply I'm only referencing my own experience of it you know it applied in one context perfectly well and it applied in another context it might not work so well The track was first taken, or maybe, I can't remember exactly, 50, 60, 70 years ago, when there was no, none of the modern gear, um, none of the huts, none of the tracks were serviced or looked after. There was no investment in the track. And now, obviously, with all that investment and all that care and attention, it's walkable for many, many people. And so... We were really grateful for those that had gone before, uh, that had built the huts, that had laid down some stones and rocks and boulders to cross various wet lands. For some of the boardwalk, for some of the planks that were there that meant we didn't have to get as wet as I'm sure the first few thousand people doing the track would have got. And so we were grateful for those that came before us, but there was a little bit of adventure in being able to forge our own path anyway, forging our own way around certain parts of the track and choosing to go on certain off hikes or not. And so whilst there was a very deep gratitude for those that had gone before and laid the groundwork for us to do it, there was very much a, and where can we take our own adventure here? Where do we choose our own adventure to go? And there was certainly, I think it was on day three, it was an off hike we did that was... Oh, pretty tough, almost vertical scramble to get to the top of a summit which had a spectacular look. And when we got to the top, the walk to the edge was pretty much our own path. And that was quite interesting and inspiring to do. So again, it's paradoxical insight of be grateful for those that have gone before, that have laid the path for you, whatever that means. And yet... Can you find your own path, which is entirely unique to you? And some of the other things that I wrote about, I I put in this little little green journal that I took with me. <laughs> and whilst we're having our afternoon, you know, tea and sugar and coffee and soup, I would take a moment, and usually in company, and the, the lads often wondered what I was doing. Obviously, I, I shared that. Uh, but I was just writing reflections and thoughts and questions and trying to milk the experience beyond just having the experience for potential metaphors and insights and thoughts that I could use in, in the work that I do. And so other other things that struck me were random things like when we were going up and down some of the more severe slopes, the... The health and safety premises to always have three points of contact <laughs> you know one arm one hand two legs or two arms one leg so always having three points of contact because that's more stable i wonder if in our own lives we've got three points of contact and might we struggle sometimes with only one or two so it's more a metaphor here what would three points of contact look like for you to be able to safely traverse up or down more challenging routes that 
life might throw at you. Often when we're on the track, because of the way the countryside, because of the um, slopes and because of the, the path, we could often see the end, the hut, which was our store for warmth and food and <laughs> dryness. Um, we'd often find ourselves having it in sight, but then the track taking us off left and almost doubling back on ourselves. So whilst we were really, really close, there was many occasions when the path would take us back on ourselves and take us further away from our destination. So just because we could see the destination doesn't mean to say the path's going to take you directly there. We found ourselves zigzagging and coming back and looping and doing all sorts of things like that to finally make it towards the destination. And when you can finally see a clear path to the daily destination, it was there was an, a re-energizing, there was an energy picked up in our walking pace as we got closer and closer to the destination. But when we got distracted or detoured or taken off that direct route, it was interesting how how we responded to that. <laughs> when we stopped each day, uh, the temptation um, was to lay out our gear, get it dry, uh, eat, you know, stick some sugar in our throats so we could feel energized about what was going to happen next. And what all of us experienced was sometimes we would do that and sometimes we wouldn't do that. The most important thing we found was, you know, using the analogy of putting your own oxygen mask on first, was to get comfortable first. So wet clothes off, dry clothes on, wet shoes off, sandals on, you know, whatever we were going to be spending the rest of the afternoon and evening and sleeping in was to get comfortable, get dry, warm, fed first before you did anything else. And certainly, whilst it wasn't, you know, a life or death hike, there was situations where it was pretty tricky. And coming in and not doing that meant you got colder and wetter and your body temperature didn't heat up. So it was quite a challenge sometimes to do that first when you really wanted to put the kettle on and have a cup of tea. We stayed in what I would call luxurious huts. Now, the huts were pretty basic. Uh, you know, aluminium tabletops, wooden benches to sleep on. But what we found was that that luxury was absolutely contextual, meaning at the end of a 15-kilometre hike on a wet day with 20 kilograms of gear on your back, to be able to stop, take that off, and be in relative dry and wind and rain <laughs> nowhere near us because we were indoors with a fire on and be able to get the gas out and boil up some water it absolutely was contextual and um, it got me thinking about other aspects of our lives that whether it's luxurious or not it's it's contextual depends your circumstance wherever you live, the job you have, the relationships you have, the opportunities that are presented to you or not, it's all contextual. And that was interesting because the hardest part for me, without a doubt, 
was the carrying of the pack and it was a you know 70 litre rucksack with you know a sleeping bag sleeping mat cooking utensils all the food for the week and whilst obviously every meal you are taking food and using it it made a, an immeasurable difference of the weight on your back we had to carry a tent just in case in case the hut was full so it's 20 odd, 22, 24 kilograms of weight on your back. The visceral relief that I had, certainly, because I found that the hardest, when, particularly when you're going uphill, was we, on the off tracks, we were able to put our packs down, you know, and cover them so the rain didn't get in. But then we were just walking with a day pack, which was, you know, water and some scrog and some nuts and chocolate and bits and pieces just to keep us energised. That was a very different experience. And I wonder just this metaphor of laying down what we're carrying, whether that be shame or embarrassment or trauma or the, the heaviness of our goals or the pressures of work or, you know, the all the achievements that sit on our metaphorical mantelpiece i wonder sometimes i certainly find it valuable to take that stuff off and you i felt freer i could move quicker i felt lighter uh physically yes but i wonder how often emotionally we might feel lighter if we were to not get rid of it because it's quite hard quite challenging to necessarily forget and get rid of but just lay down for an hour just take it off. You can pick it back up again, but take it off just for the next day, just for the next moment, just for the next experience. I thought that was insightful for me in terms of just the significance of being able to take that weight off. And certainly through, you know, what's become known as the, you know, BC before COVID and AC after COVID, the kind of pandemic experience we had. Um, people carried more than just weight and, and I wonder how often that carrying of weight just gets harder and harder and harder whilst for me the weight got less and less and less literally because of the food and as we got to the end of the week probably four or five kilograms less because of the food that I ate for a lot of people we carry it we carry the responsibility we carry the roles that we have we carry unsurmountable challenges thinking that perhaps in the carrying of them they'll be resolved and so pondering that question what what could you lay down for an hour and to feel lighter what would that be helpful for one thing that was helpful for me in the preparation was this idea of hedonic calendaring, which is simply hedonic is pleasurable. Calendaring is having something in your diary ahead of time that you're looking forward to. Now, any of you with elderly parents, you'll know if they've, you know, they're coming to see you for the weekend or they're going to see the grandkids. If there's something in the diary, it's worth looking forward to. And it was the same for me. Having something in my diary, you know, boy time, mates time, on something I hadn't done before that was a physical, mental uh, challenge. It was a new experience. For the six months of prep that it was in my diary before we went, I really look forward to that time. And almost post the experience, I missed it a little bit, missed having something 
in my diary to look forward to. So I become better at thinking about before the end of this experience arrives is having something else, something else that's pleasurable, it's happy, it's a, it's a, it's a bucket list thing. It's something that I'm looking forward to having it in my diary. So, you know, at the end of the first adventure, there's another adventure coming up in a month or another adventure next year or another adventure at some point in time. So that was very visceral for me. Having that in my diary was, was a good thing. <laughs> there was many times on the walking part we would take a break and often the insight was we would take a break before we needed it. Meaning, physiologically, if you are thirsty, you're probably a bit late. So we'd encourage each other to, you know, nibble on, you know, nuts, chocolate, scroggin. Um, not necessarily because you were hungry, but to constantly refuel, to constantly hydrate appropriately. And so this idea of taking a break before you need a break, when you need it, it's maybe too late. Obviously, the break will help you. But I'm wondering if there's ways in which we can find ourselves refreshed, re-energized, that allows us to continue to keep going. But yes, we get to the burnout stage. Yep, you need to fix that. You need to do something about that. But on the way, could we find ways to avoid burnout? Could we find ways to re-energize, re refresh, um, relax, rest, recover on the way? Because life's going to throw up many things at us. And just this idea of Whatever the break means, whether it's a hedonic break, whether it's a physical break, whether it's a sleep break, is to probably take the break before you need it. The Overland Track was a wonderful experience in nature. And I certainly found that nature nurtures, meaning our immersion in nature pretty much 24-7. Most of the track is mobile unfriendly meaning there was very very few spots where the mobile providers could find us and that was actually excellent <laughs> it was brilliant challenging i know if you're closing on a house or you've got kids on the way or you know parents are real i, I appreciate there's lots of challenges with that but i was fortunate enough to not need that circumstance so it was actually after the first 24 hours, it was a relief um, because the nature, uh, the grounding in nature, the swimming in the cold water, the circumstances, the trees, the clouds, the rain, the sunshine, the birds, the flowers, all of that stuff. It was just really good to reconnect with all of that. And you know, we know the psychological benefits of uh, connecting back to nature. So I was immersed in that for six days and it was fantastic. And ironically, as we got close to the end, as we got close to our destination, a number of the mobile services came in and you could hear all the pinging, you know, the texts coming in, the WhatsApp coming in, the email notifications coming in. And it was a little bit of a heart sink moment, actually, where 
<laughs> oh, we're back. We're back into another reality. We're back on the work trail. We're back on the responding to family, friends, etc., etc. And you know, prior to that, it was it was a lovely experience just not to do any of that. Other things that I um, enjoyed. Other random thoughts I had was um, looking too far ahead might scare you, but it's great in hindsight. And again, assuming you make progress. And so this idea that sometimes when we set ourselves, you know, huge, big BHAG goals, as they might be called, that can be scary. But in hindsight, what a great feeling it is to know that you've overcome and navigated some really challenging circumstances. Efforts are worth it, meaning the effort we put in, often on those off hikes to get to a particular summit. The effort that we put in to get and experience the view and the experience and the, the perspective we got, maybe not every time, but certainly most times were worth it. So the effort that we put in usually is worth it. <laughs> when we were climbing Mount Ossa, uh, it was a bit of a scramble, not nothing too tricky really, but I'm scared of heights, I don't really like heights. But interesting for me, and, and a couple of people recognised actually, it was a, I was very silent going up, very silent. I was actually not coping too well with it. Um, but going up was a lot harder than coming down. Despite it obviously at the same height, there was something that my mind was doing to play tricks on itself. So scrambling over those rocks, going round corners, over gaps, jumping between big rocks and big boulders, going up felt a lot scarier than actually doing the same journey, but just coming down. Even though if I fell on either, it would have been the same consequence pretty much. So there's something my mind was doing. It was, it was playing tricks on the consequence of me going up versus coming down. <laughs> there's not really many ways to know what you'll do in certain circumstances unless you try, unless you make an attempt, unless you take a step. So yes, there's some banter around what we do in this scenario and that scenario, but you won't really know viscerally until it happens, until you are forced to be challenged with whatever the weather conditions are, whatever the gear conditions are, whatever the terrain conditions are, unless you're actually there. It was very difficult, very unrealistic to articulate academically what it was going to be like it was a much better experience for us actually doing it and then reflecting on that experience you can find beauty anywhere there was many moments and the simplest things uh, fungi flowers birds tree shapes the light shades some of the photographs that we took just obviously nothing like the naked eye but just beautiful beautiful capturing of a moment and so despite the terrain and the challenge of it and the wilderness and the remoteness there was some absolutely stunning scenes of beauty and we all reflected that 
we've all experienced that and therefore you could find those things anywhere um, if you're looking. The, the final thing I'll share with you was a, a little bit paradoxical in that we found that our our bodies were strengthening our mind more than our mind was strengthening our body. Meaning, our minds were saying things like, as we got close to the end and we're tired and we're hungry, I can only go so far. I hope it's not too dark. I hope I've got enough. Whatever the mind was doing, as the body kept walking, because <laughs> literally in the group, that was kind of one of the advantages. That was one of the things that strengthened our mind. So the body just keeping going, just one step after another. We're just going to climb up to the next false summit. We're going to climb down to the next corner, whatever it was. Just the body doing that actually strengthened the mind rather than, or instead of, what we often hear about, you know, the mind, you know, your mindset strengthens your body. You know, keep going, keep going, keep going. There was obviously a part of that. But for us, on many occasions, it was the body strengthening the mind more than the mind strengthening the body. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to leave it with you there. Hopefully that was insightful and interesting. I thoroughly recommend it as an experience. The planning was a great experience. The preparation and the practice of carrying and what gear you're going to take was a great experience. The hike itself was a great experience, not just for the hike, but from the camaraderie and all of the insights and the experience that we had. And so it's certainly something I'd consider doing again. And maybe the same, but maybe different. So that's it for this week's episode of uh, the Freedom Freights podcast. Some ramblings as I was rambling on the Overland track. Cheers. <laughs>